1: Remember what you said, you'll return that I might live in my father's house.
2: Folks, man's only hope today is regeneration, that is the new birth. Oh how we need to experience being born again of the Spirit of God. And listen, God wants you to experience that. God wants you to come to Him, and He wants you to come to Him now. Remember, judgment is coming. Jesus will return. The wicked will be judged. And in that day, there's only two choices. It'll be heaven or it'll be hell.
0: Putting things off until tomorrow is something we've all done. We procrastinate on a project or decide to pause on the housework for a while to go enjoy some time with family outside. And really, in the long run, those moments mean very little. But there's one decision that you really shouldn't put off another day. And In fact, Pastor Mike will be urging you to make a choice right now. Today, you need to decide if Jesus is going to be your Savior or not. Don't wait. You never know how long you have. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2nd Peter chapter 3 as he continues his message regeneration
2: Regeneration is an act of God's free grace, whereby one who believes in the atoning work of Jesus Christ is supernaturally quickened, or made alive, and made the recipient of a new nature. We're made alive to the things of the Spirit of God. Remember in John's Gospel in chapter 3, and verse 5, where Jesus, rather, is speaking to a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus, and they're talking about eternal life and how to Acquire eternal life. Well, Jesus, in this conversation, and it's recorded for us in John three five, he says, "Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit." So he uses these analogies. "Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God." Now, what did Jesus mean by that when he used those words, "water" and "spirit"? Well, listen, I got to say that there are different interpretations. Like, for example, some say that the water refers to the water that's contained within the embryonic sac of a woman with child there in her womb. Others have suggested that the water is a reference to water baptism, and yes, there is some merit to those interpretations. But I rather believe that water, the reference to water, is a reference to God's Word, and its cleansing effect has upon a hearer. Remember, Jesus Himself said, "...you are clean by the words which I have spoken unto you." And then the reference to the Spirit, I believe, is a reference to the Holy Spirit, working through that word to reveal to us God's way of salvation, who of course is Jesus. So, if anyone will read the Scriptures with a desire to understand its message, the Spirit of God will make that message clear. If one receives the message of salvation through Jesus Christ by sincerely believing upon Him, the Holy Spirit will give him new life and new life immediately. You know, Paul beautifully illustrates this when he was writing to the church at Ephesus in his epistle in chapter 2, where he portrays the past Present and future experience of a believer who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a lengthy text that we're going to read in just a moment. So, grab your Bibles if you don't already have them and turn with me, if you would, to that book of Ephesians in chapter 2. And let me break this down for you. First of all, Paul portrays the past of a believer that is prior to our conversion experience. This was our state. So chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, verses 1 through 3. And you, he has made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, you didn't have any inclinations about spiritual things. You didn't have an aptitude for spiritual uh, things. You were dead, spiritually speaking. In which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. This is just another way to refer to the devil. In other words, he was banging the drum that people, you and I, were marching to, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, we were helpless to do anything about that, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, just as everybody else. So that was our future state prior to our conversion experience. But then Paul goes on here in Ephesians chapter 2, and he defines for us our present condition, verses 4 through 6. Let's go on and read. But God, and I love that word, but God, which indicates that God stepped in, but God, if it wasn't for God stepping in, we would have continued in that condition, lost, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive or quickened us together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's our prison position now in Christ because of our conversion to him receiving him as our Lord and Savior. But then Paul goes on here in his narrative, and he speaks of our future uh, condition, and it's recorded for us there in verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So it's going to take an entire eternity to experience that kindness, the blessings of God, showering his blessings upon us, the love of God. Listen, it is great to be a Christian now, but gang, just wait. Now, this is all about God's free grace. Notice, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul put it this way. He says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So it's all about God's grace, God's favor. And so let it be understood that man cannot save himself. The new birth is a miracle, and only God can perform a miracle. And that's exactly the business that he is in. As wonderful and as creative as man's ingenuity is, we cannot save ourselves. And yes, we've made great advancements in science, technology, communications, and entertainment, But the truth is, only God can give us righteousness, His righteousness, His Son's righteousness, spiritual vision. He's opened us up to a whole other dimension, the realm of the Spirit, self-restraint, discipline, purity, and holiness. It's all a part of that process of regeneration, God working in us and through us. Listen, people would be a million times better off if they had fewer material things and a more sincere desire to know and to do the will of God. So listen, the need of our day is for fewer counterfeit and synthetic substitutes for satisfaction and more genuine conversions to Christ and to experience His great love. And God wants you to know His love. He doesn't want you to know His judgment. Here's a cross-reference for you. John the beloved apostle, in his epistle, in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 4, and verse 10. He says, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, Jesus came dying on the cross and through that one act satisfied the justice of God. He died in our place. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He took the penalty of sin upon himself. So listen, the truth be told, God is not angry with you. God is not angry with me. He wants you to experience his best. So don't spurn his love. You know, there's this story of a rebellious son that I think fits quite perfectly here. It goes like this. A young son of a wealthy Christian man had become extremely wayward and extravagant in his habits. Finally quarreling with his father because he had refused him all the money he demanded, he left home in anger and followed the paths of a reckless life. He went deeper and deeper into sin until after spending all of his money, he was desperate. He was willing to do anything to get more uh, money. He heard that his father and mother were away from home for a time of extended travel. The boy said to himself, My father owes me a living, and I will have it. So he broke into his parents' home. Knowing where the valuables were kept, he soon had access to them. Thumbing through some of the valuable papers, neatly tucked in a box, he found his father's will. Curious, he read it. And to his utter astonishment, he found his name among the heirs with a large bequest set against it. At first, he could hardly believe what he had saw. He could not believe that after the way he had treated his parents, his father still retained him in the will, giving him the same portion as the older brothers and sisters. He thought to himself, "'Can it be that my father loves me, in spite of all my bitterness and hatred towards him? Can it be that in spite of all of the shame I have brought upon him, he is still ready to treat me as a son?' Well, such thoughts as these were the means of bringing the boy to repentance and reconciliation with his father. He had not dreamed that his father had loved him so much. Listen, maybe you have thought the same way about God. Maybe you believe that God has become angry with you. He's allowed certain things to come into your life to punish you but you've been misinterpreting those things. It's just the opposite. You see, God longs to embrace you, assure you of his full and free forgiveness. Now, someone at this point may be thinking, it's just as easy as that, Pastor Mike? I can be saved this very moment? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Remember, one of the most beloved verses in Texas Scripture found anywhere in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe upon him, whosoever, in whatever condition, that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but have eternal life. Listen, Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for the unbelievers. In the book of Romans in chapter 5 and verse 8, there we are told that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he invites us to make full proof of his love. How? by coming to him, and coming to him now. Don't delay it. John's Gospel in chapter 6, and verse 37, here's the great news. Jesus said, him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So you come just the way you are, in any condition, and God will receive you. Now notice, Peter goes on here in our text, let's go back to our text, and he tells us, that he was not alone in communicating this message of God's love for sinners. Go back to verse 15. He refers to Paul, Paul's ministry, Paul's teaching ministry, his New Testament writings. And he says, Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of Paul's writings. I'll give you a couple of cross-references. For example, in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, and verse 1, he addresses some of the same issues and subjects and topics and doctrines that Peter addresses here in his epistles. Romans 5 and verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you another couple of cross-references. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, there Paul writes, We then, as workers together with him, with God, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. One more verse of scripture. In the book of Romans, in chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes there, and do this knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And how much more true is that today than ever before? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of life. Now, what is the focus of all of those verses of Scripture, all of these cross-references that I just shared with you? The focus is make a decision and make a decision now. Make that decision for Christ as your Savior. And it involves a complete surrender of that life. So don't delay. Now let's go back to our text. Also notice there in verse 16, Peter further says concerning the record that Paul has given to us in his New Testament writings of these same divine truths, that in those writings there are some things that are hard to be understood. No question. No uh, doubt. In fact, probably some of the things that have been recorded for us in Paul's writings won't come into a clear view until we actually stand before uh, the Lord and we enter into His presence. Some of the things are hard to understand. We have to see them through God's eyes, through eternal eyes. There are things that Paul defines for us that we've never seen or experienced before. They're hard to understand. So, But notice here, Peter goes on to suggest that there were some who were untaught or unlearned and also unstable who take those things that are difficult to understand and they twist them as they do also the other scriptures but unto their own destruction." You see, Peter was not alone in his problems having to deal with false teachers who perverted God's truths. Repeatedly, Paul was confronted by ungodly men whose minds were closed and void of God's truths. You see, the word untaught, go back to our text, the word untaught or unlearned, it's all according to what translation you're reading out of, does not mean they were unscholarly, or ignorant, that is, by the world's standards. Rather, they were blind to spiritual truth. Their unregenerate hearts would not permit them to comprehend the message of grace and redemption. And this was not all. Notice Peter goes on to declare, as I've already suggested, they twisted the scriptures. In other words, they distorted and misinterpreted God's truth. Theirs was a humanistic attempt, to handle the word of God, which always results in confusion. In 1 Corinthians, for example, in chapter 1, in verse 18, there we are told, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And so they would approach it in a humanistic kind of a way. They would twist it to meet their perverted understanding and interpretation of those verses of Scripture. But the problem was, for them, on their part, was simply they had never been born again. Yes, they may have been brilliant in their understanding of the particular philosophies of their day, but they were wholly incapable of grasping the elementary truths of God's Word. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, but in verses 27 through 29. There we are told, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Now, he's not suggesting that the things of the gospel are foolish things. In the natural man, it's hard to understand how God can bring life forth from someone who has died upon the cross. So, it's hard to rationalize those things. So, that's what Paul is referring to here when he says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise... And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Folks, man's only hope today is regeneration. That is the new birth. Oh, how we need to experience being born again of the Spirit of God. And listen, God wants you to experience that. God wants you to come to Him, and He wants you to come to Him now. Remember, judgment is coming. Jesus will return. The wicked will be judged. And in that day, there's only two choices. It'll be heaven or it'll be hell. These are indisputable facts. Believe them and come to the Savior now. Well, you have the opportunity. You know, there's the story of the Titanic, and it is said that when the mighty Titanic sunk on its maiden voyage to America, the scene outside the White Star office in Liverpool, England, was actually beyond description. A great crowd of the relatives and friends of those who had taken passage on that ill-fated vessel thronged the street, and all traffic was suspended. On either side of the main entrance, a large board had been placed. Above one was printed in large letters, known to be saved. On the other, known to be lost. And every now and then a man would appear from the office, bearing a piece of cardboard, on which was written the name of one of the passengers. And as he stood at the entrance, and faced the crowd, and held up the name, a deathly stillness swept over that vast audience. The people watched breathlessly to see to which of the boards he would pin the name. We need to realize at this very moment, you were either saved or you are lost. There's no middle ground. You see, the crowd that stood outside the White Star office in the story realized that there were but two classes among those that had traveled upon the Titanic, upon that ship. There was no board for those who were neither saved nor lost. And likewise, there are only two divisions gained today. In which class are you? Let me ask you that question. In which class are you? Don't gamble with time. Hear his voice speaking to you at this moment. In James Epistle in chapter four and verse eight. There we are exhorted. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, gang, as we close out this message, I want to encourage you. Open your heart and let God pour blessings of eternity into your soul. So bow your heads with me if you would. Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would continue to work this great work of regeneration in and through our lives. May we possess that spiritual vision. May your word come alive to us as we read it. May we experience self-restraint, discipline, purity, holiness, that only you alone can give. For we ask all of these things of you in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said,
1: Amen. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be.
0: Oh, my! We're so glad you joined us today for "In My Father's House." Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of Second Peter, a New Testament letter that speaks much about holiness. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. In a world full of temptations, it can be difficult to live a holy, set-apart life, to live a holy life of only good and pure things. But if you put your hope in the holy things, the worldly things become meaningless and empty. Where are you seeking true purpose? Is it in the world or in the Word? The world is sure to let you down, but God's Word is sure. We'd love to connect and pray with you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Call us at 212-247-1877. Again, that's 212-247-1877. If you're unsure what knowing Jesus means, visit HarvestNYC.org and look under Resources for How to Know God. You can also find more messages from Pastor Mike on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find service times on our website. Well, that's it for today, but be sure to join us again right here on In My Father's House.